Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the HypnoDojo, a place of learning for practitioners and students of hypnotherapy. Get your black belt in all things hypnotherapy as we whip into shape your mindset, mastery, and marketing. Relax, enjoy, learn. Here's your sensei, Linda Campbell. Hi, this is Linda Campbell, and thanks for joining me at the Hypno Dojo. We're going to talk about something that has been coming up for me a lot lately with uh, classes that I'm teaching that I just feel I really need to say something about. And it's really about how we're communicating to our clients and how that communication is so different from the communication that we do with friends and family. So this is a mindset piece. Now, there's certain mindsets that we have to adopt as hypnotherapists, and um, part of that is really embodying the role of the hypnotherapist and communicating in a way that is different from how we do normally. So... Think about this. You're hanging out with a group of your friends, you're out for coffee, you're having drinks, and somebody offers an opinion about something that you disagree with. What do you do? Now, some people might just hold back their opinion, but with our friends, we might be more inclined to voice our opinion, to debate, to argue with them, to maybe even try to convince them that we're right and they're wrong. And in the realm of friendship, this is perfectly fine. It's part of knowing one another, bonding with each other. You know, we don't have to all agree on the same thing. However, that way of being where we offer opinions, where we might offer advice, where we might try to convince somebody, where we might disagree with somebody, where we might debate with somebody, is a completely different form of communication than what we're doing with our clients. When we embody the role of a hypnotherapist, we're going to be speaking differently. We're going to be listening differently. Uh, Now, obviously, there's a different way of speaking in terms of using a hypnotic voice. So this is my regular speaking voice. I speak quickly. You know, I wave my arms around a lot. But when I've got somebody in hypnosis, I slow my voice down. It's deeper. It's more melodic. It's not as fast-paced. So obviously, there is a difference when it comes to our speaking voice and our hypnotherapy voice. But that's not exactly what I mean when I say that we're going to be speaking differently. There's a different interaction with our friends than there is with our clients. With our friends, it's back and forth. You share an opinion. I share an opinion. If we disagree, we say so. We debate. There's room to argue. But not so with a client. The time with your client should always, always, always be about your client. When you're with a client, sorry to tell you this, but your opinions don't matter. Your beliefs, your attitudes, your preferences, your tastes, all that stuff should not exist in your relationship to your client. The conversation between you and your client is not a two-way communication. It's not about you voicing what you believe and then them voicing what they believe and back and forth. All of your opinions are left outside of the conversation. Your job is just to find out about them and to be curious about them. So there's a term in counseling from Carl Rogers uh, called unconditional positive regard, that we are to treat our clients with unconditional positive regard. Now, there's two pieces to this. 
One piece is that no matter how dysfunctional a client's behavior may appear, it always makes sense when you understand the context in which it was formed. So your job as a therapist, as a counselor, as a hypnotherapist, is not about judging or you know, being disgusted or bothered by something your client shares with you. Your job is to get curious. Your job is to try to figure out why the client believes what they believe. What was the context in which that was formed? Because when you start looking into their history, into their upbringing, into their conditioning, into the experiences that they've had, it always makes sense. So part of treating a client with unconditional positive regard is accepting them exactly as they are, exactly the way they show up, again, without, value, without judging them, without putting a value statement on them. So no matter what your client has experienced, no matter what your client has gone through, no matter what your client has done, you receive them without an opinion, without judgment, with just curiosity. The second part of unconditional positive regard is to assume that the client has all the answers. Our job is not to advise, particularly unsolicited advice. Our job is not to try to tell them what to do or convince them over to our way of looking at things or thinking about things. Our job is to help the client tap into all of the insight and resources and answers that they have within themselves. So we could do this through regression. Maybe a client comes in and they've got a phobia or they've got a certain belief or fear, but they don't understand where it comes from. The answer is inside the client. If we can take the client back to the origins of that particular feeling or to any events or experiences that have contributed to or caused that feeling, the client will know where that came from and now we can work through it. So we're helping the client to get insight into their challenges so that it can be resolved. So some of the mistakes that I've seen uh, in watching people who are new to hypnosis or watching students who are transitioning from communicating the way we communicate with our friends and family to communicating like, with a th- like a therapist, it really is a transition. It's a totally different way of listening and, and speaking. Some of the mistakes that I've seen. I saw recently a brand-new trainee, first interview he's ever done, start to give a student he was working with advice about what type of exercise she should do because her goal was to take off weight by exercising more. Now, again, if we were talking to our friends and our friends were like, I don't know how to lose weight, I I really need to exercise, we might say, hey, I really like yoga. Have you tried that? But with a client... It's not about enforcing what we believe onto them. It's not about them, you know, about advising them in what we like or what we think works. It's about helping them to come to their own conclusions. So a better way of handling that situation would be to ask the client, what would you like to do to take weight off? What kind of exercise appeals to you? Or even better yet, put them in hypnosis and prompt the subconscious to give them insight into what would be the best approach for them. So again, I'm not giving advice. I'm not telling my opinion. I'm not saying, here's what worked for me. You should do this too. We might do that with our friends and family, but we're not doing that with our clients. So we're not advising. We're not offering opinions. We're not judging. We're kind of like an open channel, just supporting, listening, receiving the client as they are, and attempting to understand them. And as I said, being curious. Now, when I speak to my friends and they're telling me about something that's going on in their lives, I'm listening. I might be like, oh, man, I've been there too. That's a sucky place to be. I might be asking some questions. I might be offering support. I might be asking if they want advice. 
And it's a totally different way of listening than when I'm talking to a client. So if I ever have a friend who's like, I want to come and do some sessions with you around this, I'll usually have to say to them, I'm going to interview you the same way I would a client, even though I know some of your background. When I've been listening to you as a friend, I'm listening differently. I need to interview you the way I would a client so I can listen as a therapist. So as a therapist, I'm listening for their language. I'm listening for their beliefs. I'm listening for relevant experiences that may, have, may still be having an impact on them. And so I'm listening for how am I going to work with this client? What are the things that need to be resolved or worked on? I'm listening for strategies that I can use with this client in hypnosis. That's not how I listen when I'm just shooting the shit with my friends over a glass of wine or something. It's a totally different way of listening. I'm bringing this up because I'm really noticing that this is, as I mentioned earlier, a transition that people have to make when they're learning how to do hypnosis. You really have to separate your hypnosis self, your therapist self, from your everyday self. If you start bringing your everyday self into your hypnotherapy sessions and you're offering advice or you're judging your client or you're interjecting with your own opinions, this is going to cause major problems between you and your client and will probably cause your practice to go belly up. So, for example... Uh, I witnessed in one of my classes recently, and trust me, this took a couple hours of me lecturing afterwards to address. Two students were working together. One was playing the role of the hypnotherapist. The other one was going to be going into the chair to do hypnosis. And it's known that the person going into the chair has a fear of cats. And the person who was acting as a therapist commented, well, who has a fear of cats? That's just silly. Cats are so cute and cuddly, right before the session was about to begin. Now, I wasn't in the room for that, but I did come in the room a little bit later on, and I observed the person in the chair who typically, when I work with her, goes into hypnosis pretty deeply, but she was tense. She had her arms crossed across her body. She was, you know, had her legs crossed, was kicking one of her feet, kind of fidgeting it, so clearly not relaxed. And when she came out of hypnosis, I asked what had happened. And she said, well, as soon as um, this other person mocked her goal or mocked her problem, she felt completely unsafe, couldn't go into hypnosis, and basically spent the whole time sitting there resisting what was going on. Now, this is really important feedback to the person doing the session. Her response was, I was making a joke. She shouldn't have gotten offended. Well, you can't make a joke at the expense of your clients. You can't make fun of your client's goal. There is just no planet where it is okay to say that this goal is funny or your goal is silly or your goal is ridiculous. These problems that people have are real problems to them. Even if it sounds funny or silly or ridiculous to us from the outside, it is causing them distress in their lives. It's causing them to miss out on opportunities. It's causing them to experience anxiety. It's causing them distress. And the fact that the client had the tenacity, the, the, what's the word I'm looking for? I, okay, one of the things that I say to my students is I want you to really consider where your client has come from by the time they come to see you. 
Okay. Oftentimes, hypnotherapy is not a person's first choice. They've done a lot of other therapy. They've done a lot of other modalities. They've done a lot of counseling. They come to hypnosis because they think, well, what have I got to lose? I've tried everything else. Now, hopefully, this will change over time, and people will do hypnosis first and save themselves a whole whack of time. But oftentimes, they've done a lot of other therapy. So consider this. By the time the client contacts you as a hypnotherapist, they've dealt with their problem maybe for years or decades, They've had to share it with a lot of other people. They haven't gotten results, or at least the results haven't been substantial enough, or they wouldn't be trying again. And here they are taking another chance. They've looked for you. They've Googled you. They've found some information about you. They checked out your website. They called you or went through your booking calendar to set up an appointment. They probably have thought about this session in advance. What am I going to say? What am I going to tell this person? How are they going to respond? Is this even going to work? Am I even helpable? Can they help me? Is this a problem I'm ever going to be able to solve? They get themselves to your office. They wait in your waiting room anticipating meeting you. They don't know who you are. They don't know if you're going to judge them. They don't know if you've got the skills to help them. They don't know if they're even helpable. They come into your office, and once again, they tell their story to a stranger. Even though they've done this before and even though they haven't gotten results, they're willing to sit down face-to-face with you and tell you their story again because they have enough hope that maybe this time somebody's going to understand what to do. Somebody's going to be able to help them. So think of all the steps the client has gone through. They didn't just pick up a phone and call you on a whim. They've probably been dealing with their problem for years and years and years by the time they get to you. And imagine your response being, well, who would have a fear of that? That's just ridiculous. I'm pausing because this makes me so crazy. And I'm trying to give the person who said this the benefit of the doubt. We might talk this way to our friends and family. We might kind of poke people for their problems. We might kind of, you know, playfully um, put them down. (laughs) Although as I'm saying this, it's like, damn it, we shouldn't even be doing that to our friends. We shouldn't even be doing that to our family members. Why can't we all just agree to treat each other with sensitivity and compassion and empathy and quit making digs at people? But back to the client. If you said something to your client like that, or you don't even need to say anything, roll your eyes, you know, let out a breath like, oh, this is a ridiculous problem. Look impatient, look bored, look frustrated. There are so many ways of communicating that you don't believe your client has a real problem. And all of that stuff is going to shoot you in the foot. Your client is going to feel unheard and disrespected, and they're not going to come back to you. And you're not going to end up with a whole lot of clients because when people feel like they've been disrespected and unsafe, they tell people. So it's going to come back and hurt you, but think of the damage it also does to the client. By the time the client comes to see you, they're already frustrated. You know, They already have been working on this problem without getting results. And they're already feeling as though maybe they're not helpable. And they already might feel embarrassed or ashamed or humiliated that they have this problem in the first place. And then you add to that by making a comment. That's just not okay. So again, I I like to give people the benefit of the doubt and think that maybe this is just a transition that's required. We need to learn to talk differently. We need to learn to think differently. We need to learn to communicate differently with our clients. We need to learn to listen differently. We need to learn to put our judgments aside. 
We need to learn to put our opinions aside. We need to learn to simply receive the client and have total respect for who they are and how they've shown up. And if we don't understand why they have a particular problem, our job is to make it understandable to ourselves, to ask questions, to take a history, to delve in, to treat the client with complete respect and answer the question for ourselves, why has the client come to feel this way or believe this way? If the client has a fear, instead of judging it as silly, we are to try to understand the context in which it was formed. I actually had a client who came to see me with a fear of kittens, and it was really frustrating to her because all her friends thought it was hilarious. They would buy her kitten calendars for Christmas and, you know, leave stuffed kittens in the um, in her bedroom when she was a kid. Like, this was something that caused her a lot of distress, and what people don't understand is it does actually cause distress. Now, when we looked into this in hypnosis, what came up during our session was that she had had a stray cat for a period of time when she was a kid. Her dad didn't like cats. The cat had kittens. Her dad flushed the kittens down the toilet. Now, my client, being a little girl at the time, couldn't wrap her head around how her dad would do something so inhumane. And so because she couldn't understand it, and probably it felt threatening to see dad as somebody who was capable of doing such a thing, she had to decide at that time that the kittens must have been dangerous. There must have been something wrong with the kittens because why else would dad do that? This is how the psyche works. If I see my dad as somehow being flawed, as being inhumane, then I have to worry about my own safety. And, oh, my God, that's overwhelming. So dad's okay. It must be the kittens. This is how the human mind operates. Now, I want to take this even further. When I've told this story, people want to say, oh, my God, what kind of person is that father? Well, let's step back from that. For somebody to do something like that, they must have had their own experiences that have damaged them. It is people who have been hurt who hurt people. People who are well-balanced, who have sorted through all of their own stuff, who have worked through all of their own issues, don't need to cause that kind of destruction in the world. So when somebody acts in that way, there must be something operating within them on some deep level, some unresolved stuff that has made it okay for them to operate that way. Now, I'm putting that okay in air quotes in case you can't hear it. I'm not saying, I'm not saying that this behavior is appropriate. This isn't about me excusing or defending or even tolerating somebody's behavior. But any time we see somebody acting in a dysfunctional way, that's because there's something going on within them that is responsible. Probably dad had been mistreated himself. Probably dad had been, uh, you know, observed abuse himself, and that has become his normal. Clearly dad's got something going on within him, or he wouldn't need to act that way. So as soon as we pass judgment on the client, we say dad is evil or having a fear of kittens is stupid, we are dismissing the client completely, we are interfering with rapport, and more importantly, we are damaging that client. That client has already been damaged by their experiences of life, and now we are damaging them even more by not validating their experiences. So if a client reveals a fear, Our job is to get curious and understand the context in which it was formed. I've seen everything from that fear of kittens to a fear of belly buttons to a fear of thinking, a person who would start to panic when they became aware that they were thinking. And in every single case of a phobia or a fear, it made perfect sense. 
when you understand the context. The fear of belly buttons went back to a woman being in her bathtub as a little girl and her mom jokingly saying, oh, you don't want to unscrew your belly button or your legs are going to drop off. Being a kid, not understanding mom was making a joke, the subconscious being protective and illogical, she carried that fear forward. The fear of thinking was a girl who was in school, was struggling in school, mostly because she had a bad home life and so she was always anxious. She got put in the special classroom at school. School was a place where she was bullied and picked on. She didn't have a safe place. And she would spend the whole time in that classroom looking up at the clock, waiting for the hours to pass so she could leave, and always in a state of anxiety. Now, right underneath the clock was a sign that said THINK in capital letters with an exclamation mark. So this is how a phobia gets formed. This is how a fear gets formed. She's in an anxious state watching the clock, and in the periphery of her vision, she's taking in think, 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 and that think is being associated to all that fear. So later on, we've got somebody who's got a phobia of thinking who becomes panicky when she realizes she's thinking. So again, these aren't funny phobias. There's nothing wrong with these people. These aren't dysfunctional people. Everything makes sense when you understand the context. Same thing with an odd behavior or a habit. We need to understand how it serves the person. We need to remove our judgment. We're not to express surprise or in any way make the client feel embarrassed or uncomfortable, unsafe, or ridiculed. If the client is not relaxing, if the client is not returning, if the client is not getting results, I really challenge you to look at yourself. Look at what you're doing. Look at what you're saying. Are you being too laissez-faire with your clients? Are you in any way saying something or communicating, even through your body language, that you're not validating your client's experience? Are you offering unsolicited advice? Are you telling the client that they're wrong? Are you trying to convince the client that your opinion is more important or more valid than theirs? All of these things are going to interfere with your therapeutic relationship. Now, there's another piece to this. I've been talking about our personal self versus our professional self. Now, one of the great things about studying or learning to become a therapist is you develop skills that will carry over into your personal life. So this can be good. You might be more compassionate. You might be more empathetic. You might be a better listener as a result. But it can also be detrimental because as you develop compassion and you're treating people with unconditional positive regard, you may start to let people get away with things in your personal life um, more so than you might otherwise when you're not looking into the reason underneath their behavior. Now, I've had an experience of this in my own personal life. Uh, you know, again, when I approach my clients, I approach them very much with the mindset of curiosity and trying to understand where they're coming from. But I've discovered recently that this tendency to do this in my personal life is really just creating problems for me. I'm going to read you a Facebook post that I made some time ago, and it was really interesting because I just posted this for myself. And within an hour, a friend of mine who's a therapist asked if she could share it, and she shared it to a place where there was many other therapists, and it got shared over and over and over. This thing started pretty much going viral within like two hours of me posting. And so I want to bring it up because I think this is really important for those of us in the helping professions, for those of us who credit ourselves with having good compassion and empathy and understanding, that we know when to set boundaries when it comes to our personal lives. So here's the post. Some of this will sound familiar. I always tell my students that no matter how dysfunctional a person's behavior appears, 
It always makes sense when you understand the context in which it was formed. This is a great philosophy to hold when it comes to working with therapy clients. It helps to keep you curious. It helps you to suspend judgment. It helps you to look deeper into where a person's particular patterns or dysfunctions come from. It's made me a great therapist. However, this philosophy has not served me well in relationships. It has made me too willing to settle for bad behavior. It's made me too willing to give second and third and even fourth chances. It's caused me to look beyond a person's harmful behavior. It's caused me to fall in love with a person's potential instead of looking at how they actually show up in the world. And I've realized there's a big difference when it comes to my professional life and my personal life. My clients come to me wanting to change. They come to me open, vulnerable, trusting, and often tell me things they've never told anybody else. They come to me determined to not repeat their dysfunctional patterns. They come to me committed to solving things so they don't cause further harm in their lives or the lives of the people they care about. And for all of that, I'm always in awe of my clients. I have incredible respect for them. It's easy to suspend judgment and get curious about them when they come so open and raw and ready. And of course, whatever dysfunction my client presents with is no threat to me. It doesn't come home with me at the end of the day. It doesn't sleep in my bed. It doesn't affect my emotional state, my physical state, or my psychological state. It doesn't affect my child, my friends, or my business. It doesn't turn my hair gray, put lines on my face, cause my mind to work overtime, or cause my stomach to churn. And so when it comes to a therapeutic relationship, I'm happy to hold on to that philosophy. It is helpful to the client, and it doesn't harm me. But in my personal life, it's time for me to hold myself to a higher standard. I'm no longer willing to settle for letting somebody else's dysfunction harm me. I want peace in my world, harmony, and it begins today with the choices I make. And that's the end of the post. So I think it's really important, again, that we separate our personal lives, who we are in our personal lives, from who we are therapeutically. It's okay to carry over some of our therapeutic compassion into our relationships with our friends and family. Just like I think it's okay to bring some of our sense of humor and some of our, you know, enthusiasm for life into our therapeutic relationships, assuming that it's appropriate. But we need to know where to draw the line. You really need to make your time with your client about your client. It's a very one-sided relationship. The client knows very little about you by the end of the day. And yet you understand their philosophies, their history, their agendas, how they came to be the way they are. You understand how patterns got formed and how behaviors got developed. And you're trusting that your client has the answers within them to correct anything that they wish to correct. And what does the client know about you? Nothing. You are supportive. You're curious. You're open. You're non-judgmental. You're a good listener. You're focused on them, you're attentive, you treat them with unconditional positive regard. That's what they know about you. So I really encourage you, again, to really be aware of the distinction between your professional and personal self and to really practice embodying the role of the hypnotherapist. Yes, learn to do a good hypnotic voice. Yes, develop great hypnotic technique. But you're listening differently. You're thinking differently you're not advising, you're not being judgmental, you're not criticizing or judging. Really be aware of being an open vessel, just receiving however your client shows up. Ah, 
I feel like this has been an impassioned one today, obviously something I feel really strongly about. Thank you so much for tuning in. I okay, take one. <laughs> with correction with Campbell. With Campbell. Campbell. The, the, okay. Get your black belt in all things hypnotherapy and never blood. <laughs>